Hello, I'm Paul Briley, and you're listening to Off The Comma. I'm a human who cares about supporting other humans. On this podcast, we'll explore all facets of what it means to feel stuck in life. We talk with people just like us who have found themselves sitting on a comma and not knowing where to go next. We'll unpack the experience with them, where they've been stuck, what it feels like, what they experienced, and what they learned. My goal is to inspire you by seeing yourself in others. I believe that when we feel more connected and seen, magic can happen. All right, we're back with another episode as part of season two, January 2024. Here we go. Here we roll. And I am um, equally as excited. I I say I'm excited every week because I'm always excited. It's like, oh, you're being redundant. No, it's it's like I am always excited. And I'm excited particularly this week because we're talking to my new friend, Sally. And I say new friend because we've upgraded uh, from just colleagues and people who have gotten to know each other in professional circles. And um, and it's been great because Sally and I have been talking for a little while about having her on the podcast. And so I'm really, really excited to add to what I know about her, the story that she's going to share with us today. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to turn it over to Sally. Sally, welcome. And um, tell us a little bit about yourself, but start with how would you like to be known? Well, thank you, Paul. I would love. I love how you introduced um, the beginning of this episode as friends. Yes, we are not just colleagues; we are friends. Um, how would I like to be known? Um, I would maybe start off the this episode with thinking about maybe three words that describe me and my top three words. I always go to lifelong learner. Number one is uh, I love to learn. I love to teach. So for sure, number one is lifelong learner. Uh, number two is driven. Um, I seem to just have this kind of, I don't know, unending drive to get things done to, I love accomplishments. Um, I've have multiple to-do lists all the time going at once. So love to cross things off and get things done. So very driven. And number three is, um, introspective. So I, you'll kind of probably notice in our interview today, um, I am, I'm an introvert and I am uh, introspective. I do like to have a lot of deep thinking. And sometimes in, I was listening to several of your episodes to kind of prepare for this. I know you said not to prepare, but um, sometimes because I'm an introvert and I like that introspective thinking, sometimes the words come a little bit slower because I really like to Mm. think things through. So I'm very much a thinker, um, introspective, introverted and yeah, those would be my, it's kind of a fourth word is to describe me as introvert, but my three top words would be lifelong learner, driven and introspective. Well, and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the, the additional kind of, um, explanation around introversion and introspective and thinking like, it sounds like you are very thoughtful and you enjoy the process of contemplation amongst other things. It seems like that's an important part of you. Yeah. I love the, well, I love the learning process. I think maybe the one and three adjectives kind of go hand in hand is I, um, in my day job, I'm a Clifton strengths coach 
and consultant. And um, number my number one strength is learner. And what that brings is in Clifton Strengths language is really this like curiosity and inquisitive nature. It's it's always looking for continuous continuous improvement. And that's what I really enjoy is my own learning, but also facilitating the learning for others. And so I just love that learning process and the the deep inquiry that can come with some deep thoughts. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I, I that that's really cool. And I bet that's going to reveal itself too in our conversation today. Sally, you said um, you are a strengths coach. I'm just curious, and I, whether it's part of your story today or not, I, I would love to know. You said your top uh, strength is learner. Um, what are your other four strengths? Well, uh, just to clarify, there are 34 th- strengths in the grand scheme of Clifton Strengths. So it's not just top five, but many people just focus mm-hmm. on top five um, because they're considered your signature, your dominant strengths, actually your top 10, if we want to expand the language a little bit, but just to focus on my top five, uh, number one learner, number two achiever, which is kind of consistent with the way that I described my driven, kind of driven nature. Mm -hmm. Achiever loves to achieve, loves to accomplish things, love to cross things off the the lists. Um, Number three, my number three strength is responsibility. So it, and this will probably actually come out in my story a little bit too. Number three, responsibility um, really takes ownership for their commitments and what and they do what they say they're going to do. They follow through. They're known as dependable, loyal. Uh, number four is input. So input loves um, deep thinking, similar to my introspective, uh, has a craving to know more, but a real depth of knowledge versus learner, which loves the learning process, not necessarily focused on the outcomes. And then number five is futuristic. So number five is also in the strategic thinking domain, always inspires people by what could be and their visions of the future, um, which also kind of ties back to my story, which we'll get to. So those are my top five strengths, learner, achiever, responsibility, input, futuristic. Nice. Thank you for sharing. Let's let's get into this then, because we are talking about your story. Before we get into the five questions, because I ask the same five questions of every guest, um, I always like to start with intention. So as you think ahead to the conversation that we're going to have, the story you're going to be sh- sharing, what intention would you have for yourself for the next 40 minutes or so? I love this question <clears throat> because it's not about goals. It's about just your mindset, right? So my intention is to have an open mindset, to be curious, but also to be brave. That word, uh, it conjures up some other kind of thinking for me is um, that here's my one of my favorite phrases is bravery is not the lack of fear. It's the ability to move forward and overcome in spite of it. So I think there's a little mm. bit of bravery that it takes to come on your podcast, Paul, to be honest, (laughs) you take your guests to places where they don't even know they're going to go. So I'm going to be brave Mm. today. (laughs) I I so appreciate that reflection. And my intention is to support you in being brave. And since you said it to take you places that um, you didn't know you were going to go. And, and the whole intention that I have in doing these things is, is first of all, to, to reflect to anybody who's listening that, you know, everything you need is within you. I mean, each of these stories, and I, I suspect your story will be no surprise, is that it really does reveal to us how resourceful we can be and that the process is just as important as the destination, right? Um, but also, importantly, is that 
you know, we're not here to give people advice or tell people how they're supposed to do things. It's just like, let's hear what someone else's experience was and show, model, demonstrate, right? And so someone someone out there or many someone's out there sooner or much, much later down the road is going to hear something you said. They're going to connect with that. It's going to resonate with them and it's possibly going to inspire, motivate them, or at the very least, help them feel a little bit less alone in their own experience. So that's my intention is to create that space and um, and and to make sure that you're able to tell the story in the way that you want to tell the story. Okay, let's do it. So let's jump in with, let's jump, let's do it. Let's jump in with the first question. Um, you've already said, I haven't heard your story. I'm curious to hear what you're going to be sharing today. So the first question, Sally, is where have you found yourself sitting on a comma in your life? Where have I found myself sitting on a comma in my life? Just to repeat back the, the question. And I love your format that it is a standard set of questions, but just to kind of rephrase the question is really what you're asking is where have I found myself stuck? Possibly. Right? I, I leave it open for interpretation. Some people would hear that question. It's, it's, it's a good comment that you bring up, right? What does that mean? Some people hear where have I been sitting on a comma? And that means, oh, I've been stuck. I've had other guests describe it as, well, there was just a pause point in life. I was in between things. I was in transition or I was mm. choosing to take a break. So it's really wide open. So feel free hmm. to answer that question in whatever way you interpret that question. Okay. I interpret it as like a feeling of maybe being stuck and kind of sitting on the comma, not knowing what's on the other side of the comma, perhaps. Mm. Um, mm. This And the story I want to share is my sobriety story. Um, I know you've had guests on in the past and you you share with your listeners that you are also sober. And um, mm -hmm. and this is a part of my story that I just feel like it's time to share. Um, I was sitting on a comma, I guess, to use your language. You know, I'm, I've been thinking about it like for a long time. <laughs> I sat on this mm. comma as a drinker. Um, so I sat on this comma as, uh, to use some language from kind of our sober coaching space is as a gray area drinker. And I just want to kind of explain that for purposes of your mm -hmm. listeners that may not be familiar with that term. I know that you are, um, gray area drinking is a, is a term to really define the gray area, um, pun intended, between the extremes of people's relationship with alcohol, right? whether mm -hmm. the extreme being um, the take it or leave it. And I recently heard this described as like maybe 10 drinks a year, like very intermittent, take it or leave it, rare, rare drinker to the extreme, what many people think of as the rock bottom, like extreme alcohol use and possibly to the extreme of needing medical detox and, and that far end of the extremes. So if we kind of bookmark those ends, everywhere in between is very gray, right? So, and there's a spectrum um, in medical terms. It's not called alcoholic. It's called alcohol use disorder. Um, just so we're kind of speaking the frame, the same language here. Uh, my drinking was in the gray area. Um, I, mm. uh, to share a little bit about my story, um, I sat on this comma for probably years in the gray area and not really not understanding that there's a term for that, first of all, um, and not being willing to, I don't know, shine a light on it and really look at it. 
and just mm-hmm. kind of muddling through and um I didn't know I was stuck. That's the other thing is I, I, mm. I, there was no real, um, I don't know, no real awareness that it was a, a I also don't like to use the word problem, but it, there may have been a problem brewing. <laughs> I can put it that mm-hmm. way. Um, and I sat on the comma because I was unwilling for probably several years to look at it and to explore it and to even think about it. I was in denial probably is the best way to Mm. say it. Um, that my drinking was impacting my life in many ways. And even though it was Mm -hmm. gray area, I don't have, and I, I don't want to get defensive or sound defensive, but I am a little bit, you know, judgy toward myself in this way. Um, that I don't, I don't have a, a DUI or a lost job or a failed marriage or, or any like really bad like really bad life-changing things that prompted me to explore. I just kind of got to use a phrase that I know many people use is like got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I got Mm. really sick and tired of here's what I got sick of Paul was like beating myself up about my drinking Mm -hmm. and regretting Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I had one too many last night or, oh, I wasn't going to drink the whole bottle, but mm, somehow the end of the bottle is here, right? Like, I'm just going to stop at two. Well, no, I'll have a third drink. Well, then what's the point of, you know, putting a bottle of wine back in the fridge with this much wine in it, right? So, you know, Mm -hmm. it just became very, for me, my drinking days were, it became very regular, very normal to have, you know, three, four glasses of wine throughout the evening. Um, and while some may look at, hear that and think, oh my gosh, that's a lot. Others might look at it and, or hear it and think, oh, that's nothing. I mean, that's why this is a gray area. Right. And people build up a tolerance and whatever. So that's what I mean by this kind of spectrum or this gray area. I know how much I was drinking and it just, it was too much. I mean, that's really the bottom line. First of all, I just want to acknowledge you for what you just shared. Um, That is brave already in sharing that and reflect back a couple of things that I'd love to unpack some. On the one hand, you said, I wasn't even aware that I was stuck. And yet on the other hand, as you described the experience, then you did start to use terms like I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and I was getting tired of beating myself up and the regret where and when did the awareness that you were stuck or wanted something different start to manifest for you? I started, I started working with a coach (laughs) (laughs) of all things, right? Yeah. Um, I started working with a coach in like early 2021. Um, And this, it's funny. I remember telling my mom this story. And she's like, what do you mean you're working with a coach? You are a coach. And I'm like, but everyone needs a coach. Even coaches need coaches, right? (laughs) So I started working with a life coach. And this is actually really 
kind of part of the story here is I started working with a life coach. Now my coaching practice and background has been very much as I described, I'm a Clifton Strengths, I'm a Gallup certified Clifton Strengths coach. All of my coaching network, um, really a lot of what my training was, was is strengths based. Mm -hmm. And I started working with this coach who was doing referred to me by another coach who was doing a special during, um, during COVID where she was offering a package of two sessions. And I signed up for her two free sessions package of like extra support during COVID. And this is the brilliance of working with a coach is I didn't know I was sitting on this comma and through gentle inquiry, um, she just unpeeled the onion and eventually got to, oh, maybe your drinking is having an impact on your business, your relationship, your, you know, your family, mm. your X, Y, Z. Right. And so it was really through, and she's one of the, um, the acknowledgements I'd like to add at the end is Laura Gedoldig is, that was the life coach that I started working with. And it was, really through that process that I uncovered, hmm, maybe this is an issue. Maybe it's something I should look at. Maybe it's something I could be curious about. Mm -hmm. Turn on your learner talents, right? Is like that curiosity of the open-minded kind of self-reflective. And it was really through working with her that eventually I got to, maybe there is something about this that I should, I should take a deeper look into. Mm. So that was kind of the catalyst was yeah. working with a coach. And even though, um, as, as a coach, it's, it can provide so much value. Like I said, yeah. everyone needs a coach. It yeah. just was that much, that much of a game changer for me to start working with her and just kind of going through that, that process. Well, and it sounds like, so you were experiencing a number of different things and that in working with a coach, you were able to identify connections and correlations amongst these things. So when you said earlier, I didn't realize I was sitting on a comma, like you were experiencing different things and you were experiencing frustrations, but working with this coach helped you kind of connect some of these things together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. When, when you were experiencing this, um, well, let's kind of segue into question two and we, we go back okay. and forth between question one and two and all the questions through the conversation. But, you know, you said you were sitting on this comma with, with your relationship with alcohol and drinking and your frustration and, and beating yourself up. What did this create for you? Go, go a little bit more into, and so what mm -hmm. was happening for you in the midst of all of this? Well, I mean, I think it was probably the, the typical cognitive dissonance that people have with their relationship with alcohol, meaning like, I want to drink, but I don't want to drink. And, but I don't want to drink, but a glass of wine would really be nice at the end of the day. Mm. So it was this like, when you want something, but you don't want something at the same time, right? That's what cognitive dissonance is. And there was just, what did it create for me? This, this sitting on the comma was like, confusion, really mm. frustration, confusion, um, kind of not really sure what to do or what to do next. Yeah. It um, sounds like it. So I don't know if that answers the question. What to, it created a lot of confusion in my mind, <laughs> but it, it, it had, it created this confusion that I, that once I started kind of peeling back that onion and started thinking about it, 
I did turn on my learner instinctively, right? And so this is kind of the one of the things I wanted to share is my talents showed up instinctively, which is what our talents do, right? That they are our natural uh, ways of being. My, once I got curious, I signed up for a program and did a 21 day challenge. I signed up for another, uh, a 30, I did Annie Grace's um, 30 day alcohol experiment, which is very much a learning program. I didn't know I was signing up. The first thing I signed up for, I didn't know it was a learning program. Um, I just was like sick and tired. Like, oh, okay, I'll do this. <laughs> like, I'll just, I don't know. Mm. I'll take a break from alcohol and magically in 21 days, it's gonna change my relationship with it. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way, right? But I instinctively got curious of like, what would it, what would it feel like? I don't know. What would it be like to take a break for 21 days? And once that curiosity was turned on, I knew there was more to learn. And so my learner and my achiever was like, oh, I can get to 21 days or I could do another 30 days. So my achiever talents kind of really kicked in learner and achiever kind of working both at the same time. Um, and the more I learned, Paul, you can't unlearn what you've learned. It's yeah. one of my favorite sayings. You can't unlearn it. Right. And so I just kind of kept going. I also leaned on my input. Number four, my intellection is my number six. I just wanted like this. I have this instinctual, deep craving to learn more. And when I use my my third adjective was introspective. That's what this whole first 60, 90 days of me, you know, giving this break from alcohol a try was like, I need to learn. I need to just take alcohol out of the equation for a little while, open up the, the learning curiosity and shine a light on it and see, see what happens. It's so powerful. And, and what I'm hearing, because what I hear in, in so many people's stories, and also those of us who share our stories about, you know, changing our relationship to alcohol, quitting drinking or whatever, people have different motivations or different, different, um, uh, I'll call them triggers in the sense that things that prompted us to move in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Different and, motivators. Yeah. Motivators. Thank you. Um, and I'm hearing you describe one of yours was just all the things you could learn before we go into the next question. I guess what I'm curious about is what else was motivating you? What else was prompting you to make this change? Even all the way back as early as talking to and, and taking on those two coaching sessions. Well, you know, addiction is, is tricky, right? Just that the whole topic of addiction is tricky, but I, part of my thinking and maybe why I was in denial for a, a little while is I do have a family history of alcoholism in my family. And um, I guess I kind of deep down always knew I might have a similar path if I didn't do something about it. And it was like mm. I described earlier, kind of is, is, um, the, the comma I was sitting on was a little bit of denial for a while. And, um, mm -hmm. that was another kind of way back in the back of my head was if I, who knows what might happen down the road. Right. I also, maybe this is part, uh, part two to answer your, of your question, part, the part two answer to your question is, um, I'm not quite 50 just in terms of age. 
And uh, when I was 46, I think I went to the I went to a doctor and he's like, well, you're in your late 40s. And I was like, "Ooh, late 40s. So by the time I was 47, I was like, "Ooh, I'm in my late 40s. What does that mean? Oh, I've got a milestone birthday coming up. So part of my thinking was this milestone birthday that is actually in 2025. So it's still, I still have a little ways to go before that big five Oh, but I was also thinking, mm. do I want to continue? Maybe this was my futuristic talents at play here is do forecasting to the future. Do I want to keep the drinking habit up and into my fifties? Cause I know what it looks like in my forties. And if I keep going into my, into my fifties, mm. 67, like how far do you want to go? Right. So that's maybe that was part of it in my thinking is kind of milestone birthday in a couple of years. Do, do I want something different? Yeah. Well, I hear a couple of things. If I can reflect back to first thing that I think really resonated with me and comes up because I hear this a lot is just the fact that you said deep down, I had a knowing or deep down I knew. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I want to kind of really put a bookmark on that because I hear that in a lot of people's stories. And I think it's important for us to remember, uh, especially on this type of a journey It's like, again, they're all good sources of input, other people's feedback, things that people are pointing out to you, things you're reading, but always know that you always knew. Like there was always a knowing yeah. whether you acknowledge it or not. Like for all of us, there's always a deep knowing, right? And sometimes we 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 know it, we hear it. Sometimes we then start to bring it forward. So I want to acknowledge that. Sure. And then also that you were projecting, right? You were visualizing and what does this look like in the next decade, in the next decade, in the next decade? And I assume that meant two things one, how could this progress? And two, even if it doesn't progress, what does that look like? Right. I don't sure. hear yeah. you excited. I hear more questions about that than, than any mm -hmm. hope of possibility or any possibility I should say. Well, you know, part of that, Paul, I think is I, um, when I started this journey, I, I did not have an intention to quit drinking. That was not my mm. intention whatsoever. Um, I was literally, I was like, Oh, 21 day reset challenge. I'll just, you know, do 21 days and everything will be fine. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work that mm. way. Right. Um, I, part of, I think what my, the cognitive dissonance piece was because my futuristic talents like could see, you know, into the, it could project the negative into the future. It did not see sobriety as my future at that time. I mm. had no intention to quit drinking. I had no intention of like ditching the booze. That wasn't my, that wasn't my goal. Also my achiever, like that was not my goal. Um, but mm -hmm. as the inquiry and as the learning and as like, as I got further and further down the road, um, you know, I toyed with moderation and we all can, we all, I'm sure have those stories of, you know, playing, like setting rules. And that was just a complete, uh, I, I really want to curse here, but I'll just say, uh, like it was a, it was a mind time. fuck. Okay. It was yeah. like, 
just so many rules and thinking about and planning and it just like completely fucks with your brain about trying to Mm. trying to moderate and that's like if that works for people that's fine but it's a lot of work it is so much work Mm -hmm. so once i kind of got down the road i just was like well what would happen if i just said i'm not gonna drink for a while right and there's no need to put it's not a lifetime commitment it's just i'm not gonna drink right now and just take it off the, equ- mm-hmm. like take it out of the equation. And that's when things really opened up was like this freedom of, oh, I'm not thinking about it anymore. I'm not planning. I'm not counting. I'm not setting rules. I'm ju- it just is out of my thought process. And that's when yeah. things really started to open up. I, I really appreciate that. I, I too had a similar experience where, you know, I've tried moderation in the past. Anytime I left an open door, then I always ended up going to the open right. door, right? And when I finally made the decision to quit, um, it was, it just became a, it's for good. Because if it's a yes, no equation, then it's always an easy conversation I could have in my head, right? But if it's a yes, maybe, um, you know, then it's like, well, is this the weekend that I allow myself to, or maybe I could just have one. And it's like you said, it's so much fucking work. But when I was like, the answer is just no. Yeah. That's a big damn deal to say this is over, but it is like ending a relationship. It's like, well, we might still hook up or we might still get together. Just prolong something if you can even control that. Right. But when I was able to say, this is just no more, Everything just became mm-hmm. so much easier, yeah. right? Doesn't make it magically more wonderful, but it is definitely that oh, much for easier. Sure. And that's what I'm hearing you describe yeah. as well. Let's let's go into the third question because I'm really excited to hear your answer to this because the question is, what did you learn about yourself as a result of sitting on this comma and learning being something that you've talked so passionately about? What have you learned? My immediate response to that is, I can do hard things. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's kind of a like a theme throughout my life is um, like doing hard things. But and and we can come back to that a little bit. But like quitting drinking was hard. It was really hard. This whole process that I described, you have the 21 days and then 30 days and then more. I mean, it it is like a breakup with a bad boyfriend um, that you you have to kind of go through this this whole transitions process, right? And kind of a new identity as a non-drinker. So there was a lot of emotional stuff to go through. Um, But, um, you know, I have done hard things in the past and this was one thing that was one of the hardest. I will just say it, it was really hard. Mm. And I know people who quit drinking and they're like, oh yeah, it wasn't that hard. And I'm like, okay, for me, it was really hard. It was really hard. And um, one of your guests talked about uh, a, a tattoo they have. So I'll share my tattoo. And this was, like I mentioned, it's kind of a theme mm-hmm. throughout my life. This was a tattoo that I got before drinking was ever part of this whole conversation. Um, the tattoo I have says, nevertheless, she persisted. And um, it's it's a little catchphrase. Mm. We don't need to go into the history of where it came from. But um, I am a, I'm a woman in a male dominated field. I have civil engineering by background. So I was always kind of the outsider, even back in college. I was one of very few females in, in college. 
I joined the Peace Corps. I didn't speak Spanish very well, but here I was this gringa in Honduras and like really struggling as an outsider. And, um, and th that whole kind of concept of persistence kind of shows up in different spots in my life. And um, this is another one that, like I said, I got the tattoo in 2017 and I didn't quit drinking until, you know, 21, 22 is my official date, but um, that has, it's just kind of been a theme and that's what I've learned. I can, I, and th who knows what I'll do in the future that it's, that's hard also, but I can do yeah. hard things. And this was really hard. I yeah. don't know what your experience is, but I know plenty of people who quit and, and it's not easy. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it, I, I love that. And it's, it's, it's something that um, comes up in a lot of conversations when people start to have the doubts or the questions or some of our UK friends will call it, you know, they might have a wobble or whatever. And it's like one of the things we we do with each other to support each other is remind ourselves is like you now have evidence of what you can do, mm -hmm. right? Having done this is already your proof. You don't have to, you know, look very far or look very hard to, to find your own evidence. I am curious for you, Sally. So first of all, acknowledging that and acknowledging the absolute passion with which you said that I can do hard things, this proof of your capability, um, which is so powerful. And, and we don't have to get into all the hard things because if it was hard, then there's probably a lot in it. What was the hardest part? What was the hardest part? Um, the hardest part, probably, you know, it's not just about building new habits and keep keep the ritual, change the ingredients. It's it's not that. The hardest part probably was the understanding the reasons of why I was drinking and doing something about that. Um, and many people use, I mean, people drink for a variety of reasons. That's just a general statement, right? Um, I realized and learned through this mm -hmm. whole kind of process is I was using alcohol as a tool and as a tool to self-medicate and as a tool to relieve my anxiety. Uh, I put that in air quotes because alcohol actually causes anxiety due to all the chemi brain chemistry changes that it messes with, that messes with your brain, right? Mm. So I thought I was using alcohol um, you know, to de-stress at the end of the day, I call myself a stress drinker. I was a stress drinker. I was, I was a, a new-ish kind of entrepreneur when mm -hmm. um, alcohol became part of, you know, deeper into my equation. Um, I, as a consultant, I travel pretty, very regularly crossing time zones. And um, it, so it was more than just a habit of like a daily drinking habit. It was, I was using it to to de-stress or to like have a stress relief. So the hardest part was understanding, well, mm. one, like coming to terms with that. Okay, well, using alcohol to self-medicate is not healthy, right? So <laughs> just calling calling it what it was. Um, but two, I really had to learn new, new mm -hmm. and different ways to manage my stress that didn't involve alcohol. So, <clears throat> and that is, that's a learning process, right? That takes time. 
So it wasn't, what I'm hearing you say is what you learned is not just that I can do hard things. You also had an opportunity to learn more about yourself because in setting aside this tool, recognizing that it was a tool and then digging deeper into the, why do I use this tool? Why do I drink? You really started to unpack your relationship with stress and anxiety is what I think I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then finding new ways to, you know, some, I don't remember where I learned this, but um, as a sobriety coach, what we can help people do is, is help people understand, you know, why do drinkers drink and what tool is it providing and have you given it a job, mm. right? Does alcohol have a job in your life? And that was a really powerful image for me to hear is like, for, for me, the job I gave it was to mm -hmm. manage my stress. Sure. Right. So for, for other people who are drinking, who may be listening to this or struggling with their relationship with, that, with alcohol, like that's the question to ask, first of all, is like, what, what job yeah. have you given it? And then you have to take the job back because you have, uh, for me, I gave it this job of de-stressing me and I had to learn to take that job back yeah. from it and find other tools to de-stress or to manage my travel and to manage, you know, my business and, and all of that. I really appreciate this because there's so many folks and even a lot of folks who are totally fine with their relationship with alcohol. And this is not, we're not here preaching and telling everybody they need to quit drinking, mm -hmm. right? This is a conversation right. about if you yourself have started to have that that little inner voice or started to question or whatever, and you have chosen to explore a different path, then here's things to think about, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate this visual that you share with us about the alcohol being the tour, because we all know that it's never just about the drinking, right? The drinking is usually right. to address something else. And, and, you know, for me, it was the, that's how I turned my head off. That's how I separate yep. work day and work Paul from relaxing Paul. Yep. Um, you hear people say all the time, oh, I don't have a problem with alcohol. You know, it relaxes me. And that's not untrue, right? If it's doing that for you, then of course you're you're getting that benefit out of it until you're not, right? But that's, this is what I really appreciate about what you just shared is like, even if let's just say, yeah, the, I, I, I love to drink because it relaxes me or it makes me more social or helps me loosen up at gatherings or whatever. Great that you've identified that. Now let's just set aside the whole alcohol conversation for a hot minute and let's talk about, okay, that's one tool. What else would relax you, right? Or what do you feel like you need to relax? Or what's the hardest part about trying to relax, right? And then a thousand and one questions that can come in there. So this is what happens for folks who are on the journey to change their relationship with alcohol. This is what you're describing with us is at some point you talk about the drinking, then you have to acknowledge what else this drinking has a relationship with. And then you have to start to visualize and then unpack. And if I take the drinking out of the equation, then what am I left with? And that's what right. makes that's what makes it hard, as you've described. And it's what makes it scary for many people because once I set aside the booze, then I have to look at all that stuff without a filter. And yeah. yet that thing that is the scariest thing ends up becoming the most rewarding and the most satisfying. And one of the hardest things you can do, which is proof that you yeah. can do hard things. I, I just love every part of your answer to this question. Mm. So, Thank you. Sally, what has changed for you as a result of sitting on this whole comma? Ooh, what has changed? Well, um, lots has changed. For one, I'm a non-drinker. 
<laughs> I got off the comma. Mm. Um, right. So just to, to think about it that way, right. What has changed? Um, once I got off the comma and kind of went through this whole, like ditching the booze process, um, I, so as a coach and consultant, um, most of my work up until, let's say 2022, when I, kind of 22 was the year that I went through this kind of whole transformation, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my coaching practice has in the, you know, previous to that has been focused in executive coaching and leadership coaching. I do a lot of team development and team workshops in my day job. And what opened up for me was, so I already knew this about me. I love to learn. I love to teach. I love to facilitate. I um, love to be, even though I'm an introvert, I love to be in the classroom facilitating the learning process, whether it's a workshop or a team building or a, a strengths type of team event. Um, I um, I absolutely love that process and and being part of that process and watching the learning. But what it opened up for me was this whole new layer of teaching and coaching that I didn't even know existed. I had never heard of sober coaching or sobriety coaching or alcohol-free coaching or whatever label you want to put on it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not big into labels, um, but whatever we call ourselves as sobriety coaches, um, you know, some coaches use different, different terminology, but I had never heard of that much less would I ever have looked at hiring one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. At that time, I was working with a life coach and she very clearly in the beginning said, well, I'm not a sobriety coach. That's not my specialty. And frankly, Paul, I had never even I'd never even heard of that as a thing out there in as a coach. I've I've been a coach for more than a decade. Um, and everyone, while coaches have their niches, um, I had never heard of that as a niche. So in 22, I started doing some programs and really learning my, my learner number one always comes back, um, and got exposed to this whole idea that you don't have to label yourself as an alcoholic. You don't have to go to an AA meeting. You can through inquiry and learning change your relationship with alcohol there's no need to submit to a higher power and if that's your thing fantastic that's it it works for many people but that was not the route that i chose and just learning this this opened up this idea of oh i can help people with this this is a problem that i have unique insight into and um this is where i want to i want to change the world paul Mm. i want to help people do what I've done is I feel like I have transformed my own life and gotten to the other side of alcohol. And that's what drives me is to help people, um, gray area drinkers feel that same thing, because Mm -hmm. that's, that's what this has created for me is this passion and this like vivid image of helping people facilitating that for other people and helping people get off their comma when it comes to being stuck in a, a drinking cycle. Mm. And I had never heard of it in the first place, like never knew what a sobriety coach was. And uh, now we've both been through the certification to do it and to help people change their lives by ditching the booze. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you're yet another example. Uh, this comes up so often in all these conversations. And I just love this. It's such a human thing, right? Is the very thing that you struggled with the thing it's the comma you were sitting on 
ends up being the thing you carry with you into the future and you use that comma to help other people or to help frame your new direction or where you go next. And it's, it's so interesting how often this shows up that it's like the process or the struggle that we go through ends up becoming the product or the tool that we use in the next steps or the next part of the journey. So, um, yeah. And that had to have really fed the learner in you, as you said, Nice. Yeah. I mean, the learner loves, to, while it loves to learn, it loves to teach also. Mm-hmm. Right. So some of my, um, my new coaching endeavor is I kind of do both. I do some coaching, but I also put together a, a, a 31 day, take a break learning. Mm-hmm. It's a learning program because I love to teach. So yeah. I put together just a little course that people can take. And this is not an advertisement for that, yeah. but it's, it's, it's just how my passion has come out is I love to coach and facilitate that learning process, but I also love to teach. Well, and as a learner, you have unique experience of being a learner and being with learners, right? So it, it it's obviously, you know, it, it all ties together there. Um, and absolutely you can give a plug for yourself um, and, and do that here in just a second when we talk about how people can find you. Um, Last question, though, in the five is, what does getting off the comma look like for you? What does getting off the comma look like for me? Um, It means, or what it looks like, and I'm going to, it kind of goes back to the other, to the word that I used at the beginning of this um, recording is, it means being brave. Mm. It means kind of taking taking a leap of faith into the unknown because like I said I I didn't dream of a future of of like being sober being happily sober like and being joyful about like being energetic and energized and like want to scream it from the rooftop of how mm-hmm. great going alcohol free is like that was not what I was like ever would have dreamt of um but it took some bravery just to kind of start to peel that onion back and think like what could happen? What could the possibilities be? Um, the other thing that comes to mind is not just, you know, I, I, because I do think it takes some bravery to examine your relationship with alcohol. It, it, it takes some deep, th- deep thinking, but I also think um, what's important to bring up is that it's okay to ask for help. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel, I think i felt stuck for a long time because I just didn't know what to do and thought I should be strong enough to figure this out on my own. And it's what I learned was this is this people's relationship with alcohol is tricky and it's tricky for a lot of people. There are a lot of people out there that feel the same way that I felt. And I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I the first group that I joined, I it was a I mentioned this 21 day um, program. It was women that when I started to get to know them just through this like very short program, I was like, they feel the same way that I do. They feel the same mm-hmm. way. I didn't know there were other people that felt this way. Like I just didn't know. And I didn't know it was, it was okay to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. I can 
people can't see, but I can, I can see. And this is, this is very moving for you. This is a very deep point for you. What's coming up for you as you're saying it's okay to ask for help? Um, you know, I think maybe I have always been one high achiever, right? I always come back to strengths language, but like, I've always been one to like put a lot of pressure on myself for being the best at whatever, right? Being one of the only women in engineering school for, um, you know, for doing hard things, <laughs> which is what I said earlier, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can do hard things. That's the perfect example. I felt like all through my life, I can do hard things. I don't need someone's help. I can do this, right? I can, I can join the Peace Corps. I can, you know, I could do this. I could do that and like do these really amazing hard things. And this was something that I needed help with. And I didn't, like I joined a program. It wasn't quote that big of a deal by like just clicking, okay, join. But what opened up was, it, it was an outreach of like, I, maybe I need to join a support group or a program or do something because mm -hmm. this is not solving itself on its own. And I just didn't know where to turn. And nowadays, you don't have to go to an AA meeting and go to you know whatever that looks like and declare you're an alcoholic. You don't have to do that. That's not that kind of help. There are other kinds of help that's out there. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, I don't want to knock AA because I think it's helped millions of people. But um, so and so many people have like, it, that's, that's not where I'm going with this, but just knowing that there are so many other alternatives out there and whether it's books and podcasts or hiring a coach or uh, so many other ways to get help with this, you know, issue, um, that I totally went, got off track here, Paul, that, but. That's okay. Well, let me let me reflect back a couple of things, though, because what I'm also sensing is, and you tell me where I'm misreflecting here, but I'm sensing that I can do things alone if I want to, but I don't have to. So there was this sense of connection between you and the other women in your group, um, these other people who showed you how not alone you are, because other people do experience things like me. And I'm also wondering, Sally, if some of those tears were also tears of gratitude. Yeah, and I think today is something like World Thank You Day or something like that, by the way, as we're as we're recording <laughs> this. Um, yeah, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for the women in my group. We actually still um, keep in touch. There's six of us that are left that have hopped on. So we went from like the Sober Curious 21-day program and hopped on the Sober Train. So that's literally the name that we gave ourselves in our little, our little nice. app group. And um, yeah, they're, they're women around the country that I have now met all of them. I've met all of them in person now through the past two years for, for different reasons, but, um, they're an amazing group of women and yeah, I've even just extend, you know, I don't know, asking the asking for help piece is finding that connection is really mm -hmm. important, especially because you don't have to do it alone. I mean, I guess that's the message, right? Paul is yeah. like, you don't have to do it alone and, and, and you don't and need people to. who can relate to your mm. experience. Yeah. People, people who can relate to your experience and understand what you're going through, even, even on the deepest levels, right? Like I'm, I'm tapping my temples here, knowing that there's people who don't just understand it because they lived in that neighborhood or they bought that thing or they worked in that job. It's like, they understand it because mm -hmm. they live in your head, you know? Yeah. What would you acknowledge yourself for 
from this conversation, Sally? Uh, well, I was brave. That was what I wanted. That was my intention. Um, I wasn't sure where this might go. Um, and I expected I might get a little emotional. I didn't think it would, I don't know, at one point it came up, but you know, it, it obviously came up at the very end, but um, acknowledge yeah, just the bravery and open-mindedness and for doing this. I I knew, Paul, that your sessions are your, I should say, your podcasts are more like coaching sessions. So you never know where a coaching session might go, which mm. is part of the beauty of coaching, right? I, that's why the field is just so amazing is you never know what will open up for people, right? Yeah. Well, and it proves like the importance of getting it out from inside of us, right? Whether that's writing it down in a journal or having a conversation with a friend or talking to a coach or sharing your story on a podcast, right? <laughs> is is so much can happen when when things come out or when we allow ourselves to let it out. And and I just want to acknowledge you for that because not only did you do that today, but your story also shows us how doing it in your life can make big changes. And, and for anybody who's sitting on a comma, you know, we don't always necessarily know where we want to go. So if you're not clear on what you're going towards, it's okay to know what you're going away from. Mm. And the further away you get, then you can start to look toward, right? So yeah, there's that messaging in there too. Sally, share with us, how can people find you or where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, people can find me. So my my new website for this coaching endeavor, um, doing sobriety coaching and programs is called McGee Coaching Solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can find me on my website and you can share the, the website there. They can also find me on LinkedIn. So my full legal name is Sally McGee Bankus. And professionally, I just go by Sally McGee. Um, but you, they can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I am the sober strengths coach. So sober nice. strengths coach, um, at, on, on Instagram, there's various ways you could find me. Wonderful. We'll have all that in the show notes as well. So people can just click on the links. Um, that is awesome. And then thank you for that also, because I think it's a part, an important part of your story and it's important part of this platform An important part of this platform is to give a voice to others, right? And so what I always do with each guest is, you know, thinking about your circles in your life, who else would you want to acknowledge? And that can be individuals, creators, organizations, causes that maybe as somebody you would like to give a little extra boost to or give a voice to or or just a shout out yeah. to. I would like to give a shout out to three people slash organizations. One is the coach, the life coach that I worked with or, uh, that I mentioned earlier. Her name is Laura Gedoldig. Um, she's a master certified coach and her coaching practice is called Vitality Coaching. She's amazing. 20 plus years as a coach. She's um, a, a mentor coach also. So she coaches coaches, which is really cool. Um, so Laura is her name. Uh, number two is Annie Grace. So I know, you know, Annie, she is the author of this naked mind, um, which is the, the key book, but also her programs are really amazing, um, to read. If you are interested in exploring your relationship with alcohol, highly recommend in addition to my own 31 day program, Mm -hmm. um, I highly recommend her alcohol experiment is a 30 day, um, another learning program, right. To just to kind of to lean on. I did that very early in my, um, journey and she does a whole host of other programs also, but I think she's a real game changer for, um, the sober curious and the sober movement of people exploring their relationship with alcohol not necessarily, you know, 
quitting, but just kind of doing that ex exploratory um, kind of those those steps. And then the third one is an organization that's near and dear to my heart. They're called the Guide Dogs of the Desert. So I live in Palm Springs. I'm out in the desert in Southern California. And <clears throat> this organization, um, so I have a chocolate lab. He is not a guide dog and I don't have any blind people in my family. <laughs> um, but um, what my own chocolate lab has done for me, I didn't get a dog until I was in my young forties. He's now, he's now five. So he has been just a life changer in terms of my mental health and just the love that I have for this creature is so different than any other pet I've ever had. But anyway, the guide dogs of the desert, um, is labs. It's also some other um, types of dogs. I think they do poodles, but it's mostly Labrador retrievers. Anyway, they um, just their quick plug is they provide mobility, companionship and independence for the blind with custom trained guide dogs. Mm -hmm. And I do a I do a 5K every year that is called the Santa Paws. And um, it is it's a fundraiser for the guide dogs of the desert and everyone shows up in there. They get you get Santa outfits nice. and it's this crazy thing that we do in Palm Springs, nice. <laughs> but it's dog friendly. So it's full of um, full of dogs and they're just an organization that um, they're they're changing lives, Paul, by by training the dogs to really create, like it says, you know, the companionship, the independence and the mobility for people that that need that kind of support. So. Wonderful. Wonderful. And thank you for these acknowledgements. And they'll be in the show notes with links as well. So Sally, I um, will, as always, look forward to our continued and ongoing conversations and getting together when you're in town or vice versa. Um, but meanwhile, thank you so much for all of your bravery and transparency and openness today and for being on the show and sharing your experience. It's kind of interesting that it's January. It's timely, right? That there's a couple of episodes, sure a couple of episodes <laughs> here in January that are talking about alcohol. So I think that was, uh, that was not by design. That was synchronicity, I think. Mm. And so yeah. maybe there's it was meant to happen. people who are ready to <laughs> and need to hear these messages, right? So have a wonderful weekend ahead. And I just wanted to say thank you for hosting and um, just for the opportunity to be on here. This has been a pleasure, Paul. Absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. What an honor it is to witness these stories from these amazing human beings. And today's guest was no exception. I invite you to think about what you learned from this conversation. What stood out for you? What challenged you? What inspired you? And I encourage you to write it down in some form of journaling and reflection. I can't tell you how magical it can be to set aside your expectations and just let your thoughts flow out of your head and onto paper. You don't have to have an agenda. You don't have to do anything with it, but you can be amazed at what comes out of your thoughts and onto paper and what that can do for you. I know freestyle journaling has been a powerful practice in my life for a very long time. You just never know what you might discover about yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Off The Comma. Follow me on social media at Off The Comma and also look for upcoming workshops and events at offthecomma.com or better yet, go to offthecomma.com and sign up for 
for my mailing list and let me bring the news directly to you. I am passionate about keeping this podcast ad-free so that we create a safe container for people to be able to tell their stories uninterrupted by commercials and promotions. I currently cover all the production costs and I'm happy to continue doing so. And I'm also open to and appreciative of any donations that anyone would like to contribute. This is nothing more than to be able to support the podcast and cover some of the monthly editing and producing and equipment costs that are associated with this podcast. So look for the donations link in the podcast descriptions wherever you find this podcast. Be sure to like this episode, follow the podcast, and more importantly, spread the good word. If you were moved by today's conversation, pass it along to someone you care about. As always, keep noticing.